Welcome to Kyperian Commentary. This is episode 93. I am your host, Yuri Brito. Our own day is plagued by individualism. Now, there is, of course, a natural sphere for the individual, but at times this sphere, like the others, quickly is endangered by the abuses of it. As we face unprecedented attacks on our liberties in this country, liberties which, by the way, are being taken away systematically in other countries like Australia, for example. The Christian needs to have a proper understanding of the role of the individual, not only in relationship with the other spheres, the church, the state, and the family, but also in relation to the question of the Christian conscience in response to particular mandates, whether they come from LGBTQ communities or governmental mandates concerning vaccines or whatever. This is just a very important question to have in our day and very pertinent to our current societal concerns. Uh, We're happy to have this conversation with Pastor Bill Smith, who's here with us. He's a senior pastor of Cornerstone Reformed Church in Carbondale, Illinois, and he published an article recently at the Kyperian Commentary entitled Liberty of Conscience, and uh, we're very glad to welcome him to the podcast. Uh, Welcome, Bill. It's good to be here, Yuri. Uh, delight to have you, my brother. Uh, your article was was very helpful in terms of laying out just a, a, a general uh, a, a general outline of this conversation on the the liberty of conscience, which is a conversation that Christians have had for a long time, but it seems to have been hidden for quite some time. And now it's at the forefront of a lot of modern conversations, especially those of us in the Reformed tradition. When you look at the the Reformational history, Bill, you mentioned one particular example which is the example of Luther and the Diet of Worms in 1521. Um, summarize that, that uh, illustration for us, that historical example for us, and then give us a little bit of a, an introduction to the liberty of conscience and the doctrine of the Christian conscience means. Sure. Uh, Luther had recently been excommunicated uh, just a few months before that diet convened, and they asked him to recant his teachings. And uh, of course, that's where his famous lines came in uh, about uh, about his about his conscience. His conscience is captive to the word of God, and to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. And so it, that's where he said, "Here I stand; I can do no other. God help me." Um, and so he he one of the things that he recognized is that his conscience was bound. Just what basically what's reflected in the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 20 is that the God alone is the Lord of the conscience and his conscience has to be bound by an ultimate authority. And because popes and councils have erred, uh, they cannot, they cannot bind the conscience. They, they, uh, this is rooted of course, in the principle that there is no earthly absolute authority and that these authorities are always held in check. They're always under God. They're always under the absolute authority of God. And that, uh, that includes, by the way, the individual's conscience. It's his, his is not an absolute authority. And that's where we get the uh, individualism that has, a, has arisen. As, as the Christian faith was somewhat uh, mixed up with, if you want to say, <laughs> with enlightenment rationalism, and everything that came out, uh, Rousseau and all those, uh, you know, uh, the French Revolution and all the things like that. And we got uh, tied up with the Enlightenment and there was a, uh, a mixture of the two, a syncretism of some, of some sort. And, and that's just under, to be understood. 
um, liberty of conscience and uh, uh, as it is understood biblically, did get muddled some and became this the almost the absolute sovereignty of the individual to do whatever he wanted. Um, however, and that's where we get all, all of our individualism today is that we, I can do whatever I want. You, nobody can tell me anything. But um, historically, the Reformation said, no, and, and it's outlined in the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 20, as I said, is that, no, we cannot use the liberty of conscience to um, defy the authorities, <laughs> the rightful authority that God has placed over us in ecclesiastical or civil realms, or even in the familial realm. But uh, those, those authorities are there to keep one another in check, that there is this constant tension between these authorities, which uh, is a necessary thing to keep everybody uh, keep everybody honest, so to speak. So I, I don't. I, I have authority in my home. Uh, I have authority over my wife because I am, according to the scriptures, I'm the head of my wife. As Christ is the head of the church, and as Christ is the head of the church, He's the authority of the church. And so I have I have that authority. But my authority is not absolute. I can't tell my wife to go and um, uh, do something that is sinful. If, uh, if I do that, then she is bound by God's word to disobey me. It becomes her duty then to disobey the authority. She's not uh, going out on her own. She has a conscience before God. She's going to answer to God. She's going to give an account to God for how she obeyed him. And uh, Paul lays that out in Romans 14, 12. He said, so then each one of us will give an account to God. And so it's rooted in that the liberty of conscience and conscience itself is rooted in that is that each one of us has a responsibility. We have the privilege of this liberty, but we have a responsibility before God. We're going to give an answer to God for the authority that he's given to us as individuals and how we use that authority to serve him within all these different realms. But then how we obeyed him or did not obey him when, for instance, Caesar tells us to do something that we ought not do. Um, did we obey him or did we obey Caesar? So um, that was just a, a little ramble there, but <laughs> hopefully, hopefully understandable. No, that's that's very helpful. That's very helpful and very, and very thorough as well. You mentioned something interesting that came out in your article about this uh, necessary tension when you put all these spheres together. And Kuiper talks a lot about this, of course. Right. But there is a necessary tension, and I think what uh, churches and institutions have uh, sort of experienced in these last uh, two years have been the tensions of sphere conflict coming to the forefront of these modern discussions. And so as, as a pastor, when you look at the natural tensions between I know, the individual and the family, individual and the state, individual and the church, what, what's the path forward, Bill? What's the path forward to the tensions will exist? That's, that's a natural uh, that's a natural outworking of any difficult conversation, right? Right. What's, what's the path for where is there a necessity? Because I see all these under the, um, under the authority of the fifth commandment, for example, I think it plays a, right. a significant role there. Um, how do we move forward so that society doesn't um, enter into the, this dysfunctional era where nothing works? Or are you saying to me that we have already entered that, uh, that era? Well, 
Let me address one thing first, uh, two, two things. First of all, um, the idea that uh, if we obey everything, then everything will work out fine. If we just have a tyranny, <laughs> then everything's going to work out fine. One of the problems with tyranny uh, um, uh, among many, <laughs> well, you can look at the historical examples of tyranny and see that it's never worked out, but there, there are reasons why it doesn't work. Um, the sinfulness of man, you know, pervades, uh, pervades those tyrannical, uh, despotic governments. But we are created as individuals to grow, to mature, to uh, make decisions on our own, to, be, to move from priest to king to prophet. And one of the things that tyranny does in some sense, and I would say this broadly, is to keep us in a priestly stage, if you would. All the rules, don't make decisions for yourself. And society, individuals cannot grow under tyranny. We cannot mature, therefore we cannot, uh, we cannot fulfill the mandate that God's given to us. Uh, when there's an absolute control over us. Liberty is, liberty for the individual is necessary. And that's one of the things that uh, fortunately in our, in our country, be, being somewhat grandchildren of the Reformation and our constitution, even though, even though again, we're, it, it was uh, mixed up with the enlightenment, we are still in many ways, grandchildren of the Reformation and those principles, biblical principles came over uh, grounded in our Declaration of Independence in the Constitution and the in the uh, Bill of Rights, that uh, assuming that we are indeed responsible before God for our own, uh, we have unalienable rights to pursue life, liberty, and pursue happiness. All those things, um, and so that's one of the reasons why we flourished as a nation is that because we we had those individual liberties because we are able then to make decisions and grow. As, in, as individuals, as families, uh, with that type of freedom. Now, you cannot mature under tyranny. Tyranny is for children. Uh, give them all the rules, control their environment. But as they grow older, they need, to be, they need to have more freedom so that they can learn to make decisions. But as we grow then, and you can experience this in the home, you can experience this in a society, you can experience this in a church, uh, as they grow, there's a natural tension that grows. I, I know that your children are growing older. My children, I have some out of the house. I, I, I'm just about to move them all out. Um, but as they grow, as they get move into young adulthood, there, there is this tension that grows even between parents and children that they want their independence. They want to make decisions for themselves, yet they're still in my household. And so they have to, there, there has to be, uh, a recognition on the parents' part that, hey, they need to grow up. They need to be making decisions on their own. However, they're still in my household, so there, there, have, there, there are still some parameters that they have to obey. So one of the things that has to be, there, there has to be this mutual understanding and humility between the two, this mutual submission that there's still a check and a balance, even though there's, even though there's tension. There's still this check and, a, check and balance that says, uh, uh, I think you're overstepping here. I think you need to allow me more freedom or uh, grasp for more freedom than you need at this particular time. And at the, the key, I think, in those tensions is that humility. And I don't know if we have that in this country. And um, it's, it's required. 
in the church. Paul says that, and one of the reasons why there is tension in the church in Philippi is that there is a lack of humility. Uh, and that's why he calls the church to have the mind of Christ, who was indeed humble and, uh, and, and looked to other people's needs above one's personal comforts. And so we don't use our liberty as a cloak of maliciousness. We don't use our liberty as a way to just get what we want without regard for anybody else. And so there has to be that, that humility that says, I'm willing to listen to you. And if this is really good for everybody else, and if my participation in that is, is good for everybody, then I will certainly do that. But if, if you are, if you're, if, but you also have to listen to me. Um, I have, for instance, let's just take the recent vaccine issue. I have responsibilities. I have responsibilities to provide for my wife and my children at this particular time in my life. I do all the research. I, I look at everything that I can with all the information that's available to me. And if I come to the decision to say, you know what? And even if I talk with my doctor and he says, I don't think it's a good idea for you to get the vaccine. You have some things going on in your body that I think the vaccine might cause a reaction and uh, it, it would be bad for you. Um, and if that will, in, it, it, and, and I have the government telling me it's good for society or I have my job telling me it's good for the business if you get the vaccine. And I say, well, you know what? If I get this vaccine, I'm not, I'm not gonna be able to fulfill my responsibilities over here. Um, and then you're just gonna say, oops, I guess we messed up. <laughs> so I had, and then my family's not cared for. I've put them off on somebody else. And, and it's because I've neglected and I've just kind of capitulated to authority in a way that I ought not. And I have that responsibility before God. And so I have to think, and I have to take all those things into account. And that's one of the things I think is, is a problem is problematic with, uh, with all these types of just blanket mandates, whether you do it in the church or whether you do it in government uh, is not treating people as individuals. It is kind of this uh, classic tension of the one and the many and all, all of us moving to one side or the other, either we're into completely individualistic or we get into this, uh, this uh, whole, this, this commune type idea that everybody has to do the same thing. And instead of, instead of seeing in good Vantillian fashion, the equal ultimacy of the two, um, we, we don't take the individual into account. And I think classically in, in America, we have, we've been able to do that by having exemptions like this or by having exemptions from these things to say, you know, we want to, we want to take your needs into account. We realize that there are certain things that you need to do, whether medically or religiously, and they're not going to really harm anybody else. You're just going to be doing these things on your own. That's, and that's fine. You're not a threat to society. Um, and so we can't allow this while we're going to require this. Or, you know, if you do this, if you, if, if you do this over here, then uh, there will be consequences. And anytime I obey my conscience, I have to, I have to accept the consequences of what that means. You know, the apostles, I ought to obey God rather than men. 
well, okay, we'll, we'll crucify you. Okay, well, then that's, that's the consequence. But um, you can't control those consequences always. But, uh, but in a non in, in a, in a non-adversarial uh, tension, like for instance, I have with my children, it's not adversarial, it's a friendly tension. It is, you know, just humbly recognizing their needs while they humbly recognize my authority um, is, is what is needed in the whole, in all of our relationships. And when you lose that humility, uh, the tension ratchets up to increases right right and it goes into hostility right right no and i think we've seen that all over the country i met with a pastor recently who said that half of the pastors in his presbytery had resigned during the covid season the tension exists you know from the sort of the top down yeah it's pretty pretty significant i think that's probably where things sort of went off i you know bill you mentioned a lot of uh, several interesting things one of the one of the patterns I think was helpful in what you said was that the the doctrine of the Christian conscience, like other doctrines, is it, it is an art, so to speak, which means you have to grow into it. And what Van Til talked about, the epistemic humility, however he phrased it, that kind of humility is necessary so that you don't feel the need to overthrow other spheres. If you were to put the, the history of the church, the history of civilization, the piece of paper, what you would see essentially is one sphere with the need to supervise every other sphere under their authority. And that's, that's, that's uh, problematic. I, I've often said to various folks in these last few months that the pastor's role these days seems to be one of irritating the zealots and not allowing the zealots to control conversations regarding any major issue, whether it be the LGBT community or the conversation about vaccination. So if, you know, and you have these two extremes, the one side that says everybody should be vaccinated, nobody should be vaccinated. And the pastor's role is to say, no, you are both irritants, to the healthy ministry of the church, stay away and we'll keep you outside of this conversation. And we will restore a healthy view of the of Christian conscience so that things don't go astray so quickly. Um, you want you want to say something about that? Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things. Uh, I think that's one of the principles uh, that needs to go, you know needs to be realized in the liberty of conscience is that not only um, do I uh, should I expect to some degree or another other Christians, especially within the church, to allow me liberty of conscience, and uh, but also that needs to be reciprocal is that uh, I need to recognize their liberty of conscience as well. Um, and and I, need to, I need to respect that because, mm -hmm. you know, they, and Paul deals with that in Romans, in Romans 14, uh, in Romans, in the beginning of Romans 15, uh, right. all these issues within the church. Now, again, that, that gets, it gets a little trickier, uh, so to speak, <laughs> when you, when you move outside the church into the realm of the society, um, we have, like I mentioned, we, we, we have a unique government pretty much, you know, uh, in recent history, um, that has recognized that principle that Paul, that Paul expounded for the church, uh, and how the church is supposed to be an example for the society. 
if you want to live like if you want if you want to live right, the church is the model. Okay, this is this is kind of you know everything flows from the from the table, everything flows from the font, the table, and the pulpit, and the life of the church is supposed to be a model, just like in old you know in, in old covenant Israel with the law and the nations looking at them saying, hey, that's how you're supposed to live. Um, and the church is supposed to be like that. And so one of the, the principle of that liberty of conscience that we did recognize uh, does permeate our society and our culture. We're, we're seem to be losing it, unfortunately, uh, because we're losing, we're losing our liberties, as you mentioned at the, at the beginning of the program. Um, and, as I was talking to somebody today one of, and, and, and praying with him is that because liberty of the conscience, liberty of conscience is a fruit of the gospel, we're losing it because we're losing the gospel in our country. Um, it, and I'm not talking about there are no churches preaching the gospel. I'm talking about in our institutions. Um, there's not just, a, there's, there's, uh, somebody told me the other day that, uh, and I like this analogy, we are living off, we're trust fund babies. And we are, we are living off of, of, of a trust fund uh, from, you know, two, 300 years ago. And the trust fund seems to be running out. And, um, and now our institutions are not just, uh, okay, we, ex- we accept some of the principles of the gospel, they're becoming anti-gospel. And, and as that movement, uh, as that movement continues, then the liberties that come with the gospel will go with it. Um, and so liberty of conscience is part of that. It's a fruit of the gospel. And, and that's why, even though I don't want to be hysterical about everything that comes down the pipe, you do want to be like sons of Iskar and understand the times. <laughs> understand, wait a minute, what does this look like when they start doing this or when they start doing this? And um, it becomes a place where we, we just, if we, if we keep delay and say, well, we can't use that here, we can't use that here. Pretty soon we're going to say, well, now we can't use it at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's gone. And so the gospel is, is um, the gospel has, has given us this culture that we've enjoyed for 250 years constitutionally. Um, and in past that, even before, you know, earlier than that, uh, with the pilgrims and everybody else coming here. And I think we need to do as much as we can to protect that um, and, and fight for that, not only for ourselves, but for our children, uh, for the next generation that's coming, for our brothers and sisters who, um, who, might in, who might be losing jobs, the means to employ themselves. Um, is medical workers are walking out in high percentage because uh, of, of the forced, you know, vaccinations and things like that. They're losing their livelihoods. They're choosing to do so because mm-hmm. of that. And that's, that's, that's part of that. But uh, wanting, wanting to provide as much for them and wanting to see the fruits of the gospel uh, in their lives and, 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 good for, and, and everything being good for them. Uh, I think we, as a church, need to be fighting for that, and pastors need to be fighting for that, and need to be fighting for the right, as you mentioned, um, for vaxxers to get vaxxed, for anti-vaxxers to refuse it. Uh, it that, that's, that's their decision. God's given me a stewardship of my body, 
And um, I, if, if I want to eat broccoli Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, because I think that's what's healthy for me, then God bless, <laughs> you know. Um, but if I don't, I'm going to have to give an account to God for it. Um, but he's given, he's given me stewardship of, of this body. Mm-hmm. And I need to be, uh, as long as I don't use it to, as a weapon against somebody else, then, um, and, and trying to destroy them and, and disobey them on, uh, in, un, in lawful commands, then I, and then I need to be, have limited sovereignty over what I do. Mm-hmm. I think, I think about the, um, this conversation and you mentioned something very, um, uh, pertinent when you mentioned about the, the loss of gospel influence, it seems like as the gospel becomes less and less pervasive, the, the willingness in which people give up their conscience or their liberty of conscience becomes even more pervasive yeah. so that you, you set the stage for the flourishing of any kind of tyrannical government when the gospel becomes less pervasive because it softens people's convictions right. and it allows people to simply say, okay, whatever, whatever you say, and um, I'll, let's go with it. I, I, um, I had one additional thought here that's, as you were speaking, Bill, that the convictions we have at this stage here, as we exercise them under godly leadership and the spirit of humility, everything that you've mentioned, these are gifts from God. Uh, Peter Lighthart wrote an article this morning, I think, for the a very brief one for the Theopolis Institute called Diagnosing Our COVID Response. And he brought something to my attention that I thought was, was interesting is that he, I'm, I'm reading a little bit into it, but the way we exercise our, our liberty of conscience, our conscience before God, is in some ways a kind of a preparatory test for whatever is ahead for the church. And so if our if we use our liberty of, of conscience um, to deal with abuses, however great or small they are now, that decision is going to prepare us for what is ahead. And right. you mentioned that um, I think over the years, Christians have become relatively neutral on these matters, thinking that they don't have to give an answer. But I am actually incredibly grateful to God that these issues are now at the forefront of a lot of men in a lot of churches. Because whereas in the past they thought, oh, well, we'll just remain neutral. Now it seems like the matter of Christian conscience has become at the forefront of our, our minds, and therefore we need to exercise it in a very objective manner. There is no more gray area. Right. It is anyway. Any thoughts there? Well, yeah, and, and I, I think um, the individualism. One of the reasons, and I, and I mentioned in the article, spherical uh, sphere sovereignty. Um, most of the time, in our reform circles, we are emphasizing, you know, government and church and family as these spheres, and we we we're seeing communities, um, and. One of the reasons I think for that is that, you know, we think <laughs> we've probably thought the individual has been emphasized enough. And so there was this corrective to say, no, you've got all these other communities to whom you're accountable. And uh, now there has to be something of a recovery of that. Wait a minute. OK, we didn't mean leave the individual behind. <laughs> we, we, we just needs to be put in proper place. He needs to understand his context within these things, uh, within these spheres, and that he is a sphere 
but he's not ultimate, that he's not absolute. And not, none of these spheres is absolute. Um, I, I think it's interesting what you mentioned too, and I, uh, um, getting into some of what I'm gonna be teaching this Sunday, but um, you mentioned the fact that losing the gospel, uh, you know, gives us this, this uh, or preps us for our liberties, giving up our liberties. And one of the reasons that that is, is we are, um, without the gospel, fear begins to take hold of us. And uh, fear of death, especially, especially, I mean, now you've got it all around you with COVID and everybody's threatening you with death. And of course that uh, Hebrews two speaks about that, who are all their lifetime subject to fear of death. And we, um, and the government steps in, you're talking about spheres, the government steps in and says, we can provide safety for you. Um, and when you lose the gospel, the individual doesn't, doesn't have anywhere to go to feel safe. And safety is one of those things that God does promise us, that God, that God, God says, even through death, I'm, I'm going to keep you safe. Uh, so you don't have to fear. You don't have to, you, you don't have to fear death, even, th even though you need to take care of yourself, even though you need to do everything you can to sustain your health and all those things. You don't need to fear death because it's, it's just uh, you're going to be raised from the dead. But uh, for those folks who lose the gospel and lose the hope of the gospel, fear of death grips them and they become ripe for tyranny. Uh, they become ripe for uh, just go government overreach to say, we can protect you from everything. Um, and with that, you lose, again, that liberty of the individual to say, you know what, I don't have to, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to look to you for that. Uh, God's got me on that. Right. Pastor Bill Smith is the pastor of Cornerstone Reformed Church in Carbondale, Illinois. And his article, which will be in our notes, is entitled The Liberty of Conscience, published at Kyperion Commentary a couple of days ago. I really, really encourage you to take a peek at kyperion.com. Bill, thanks so much for joining us, my brother. My pleasure.